Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean. Welcome, everybody, to our next episode of the Cash News Podcast. I'm Sean Ferrari, the Global Product Director at Currency Research, and I'm joined, as always, with my stellar co-host, Tom Meehan with Control Tech. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. We have a special guest with us, Mr. Todd Klepperis, the founder from Hardcar and Paisal. They're very active in the cannabis space in terms of protection, movement, finance. So Todd, thank you for joining us. We'll spend a lot of today talking about what's going on in that industry with finance and and cash. So Todd, welcome. If you would just say a little bit about yourself to let our audience know who will be chatting with this episode. Thanks guys for having me on the show. I appreciate that. I can tell you that from the cannabis side of the world, it's been about six years of my life from the day that a friend of mine had called me and said, somebody rented my armored truck and it smelled like weed until today. We've been moving cash in the state of California. We were the first company to actually move the cash in the state of California from dispensaries and the manufacturers to the Federal Reserve. And to today, we've done about $3 billion with a B in transit of cash and money for the federal banking of cannabis cash, which as everybody knows, is still federally legal. So I've been a money launderer person for quite some time now. And (laughs) the government really knows about what we've been doing. We hired United States military veterans like myself. We built out a pretty good company like that. And Hardcar itself is a self-sustaining distribution transportation company. We just secure transportation on on the front side of it. And then what I realized after that, Sean, was the banks really were the sticky wicket or they were the maybe like the Sasquatch in the building, right? You couldn't really find the banks and the banks became more of an interest level for us. So that kind of lent itself to be able to bring out the lending side of the industry. That's when we formed Paypal about a year ago and been moving right along since then. Thanks for that. You brought up kind of the the challenges with banking, obviously, and and I think most everybody thinks of the cannabis business as a a really cash-heavy industry, and we can talk a a little bit about that in in a second. I guess in terms of what's going on in that banking space, obviously, one of the big services you do provide is having the connections with a lot of those banks and can get the cash banked. There's a lot of new legislation out there right now. How do you see that trend going out there? Is it is it getting easier or is it still a pretty big hurdle? We get a tiger by the tail there. So you've seen what the government's trying to do. They're trying to get towards federal legalization. You have a lot of different nuances that go underneath that. So the Safe Banking Act, even if it were to go to fruition today, you're still two or three years out before any of the bigger banks are going to step their foot in it, not only from a reputational risk level, but also just because of the nuances of taking on an entirely new industry like cannabis, more like a uh, money services business, right? So you have pawn shops and you have gun shops and you've got all these really hard to bank industries. Cannabis will never, I mean, with an N, never get away from that because you have too many different nuances of a plant that interact too differently between too many different people. So give you, for instance, on the federal side, from the money perspective, just from the cash, people think, oh, it's impossible to find a bank. Well, that's not actually accurate. There are a lot of banks that are in this space. It's just they don't advertise. They don't go out and say, hi, we're over here. We're, you know, we're institutionally banking a federally illicit money. 
they're a little bit hard to find, but we've been working with a bunch. So now we have a total of 18 in our network, of which nine are doing the lending for. And they'll even tell you that it's a harder lift. It's more BSA, Bank Secrecy Act, or Know Your Customer KYC up front that they have to do on a daily basis. So it's just more oversight, more monitoring, and more controls. All of our banks have all been audited and all had you know inquiries. And it's a longer process, but it's, it's needed for an industry that really, really needs to be here now and be federally legal. Indeed. I know we had, you spoke at one of our conferences in, in LA a couple of years ago, and you know we had um, some folks from Safe Harbor there. And I know one of the things Safe Harbor Banking. One of the things that they were were mentioning is just the the cost of the compliance programs and everything that have to be put in place for the banks to enter this space. With your contacts, are you hearing that cost come down at all or go up or is it still a a huge hurdle? Uh, I think most of the banks have realized that their costs have come down. The monitoring itself, there's a few systems out there that have been very helpful for the banks to mitigate their total lift to be able to do the compliance on a consistent basis. Companies like DocFox are out there. They're helping over 100 banks now that are in, you know, let's call it higher risk markets. There's other solutions that are kind of wrapping themselves into the banking nuances. The only challenge that I find with that, Sean, is that some of those companies cost the cannabis companies way too much money. Now, having understood that I, I actually started as a cannabis operator, like I physically, you know, we were moving money and product for the last five years, almost six years, to go into where I'm now in the software side and I'm working with the banks with no fees so people can come to us and get into the banks without any, any money out, out of their pockets totally different kind of market, right? We put together a marketplace to be able to help the companies in our space where the other companies that are in there trying to charge for compliance really drive the pricing up for the cannabis companies where the banks themselves really are trying to drive the margins and the costs down for the cannabis companies. So you'll see companies or banks in our industry that have dropped 20, 30% of their total cost of what they were last year to this year, meaning even their onboarding costs have come down. And companies like you've mentioned, like Safe Harbor, Sunday is actually out now in her own program. I don't know if you're aware of that, where she's actually out working with other banks, helping them get into the lending space. Well, we've been doing lending for the last few years, and she's now helping other banks do that because it's really, really needed. Believe it or not, the industry itself is really difficult to try and even find a, a home loan. I'll give you an example. Tom, your partner here, he starts with a dispensary and he's working in, say, I don't know, Upper Maine. And he goes in into his bank and he says, I'd like to get a home loan. And they go, no, you work in a cannabis industry. We're not going to give you a home loan. Now, that's as simple as something as easy as that. But realistically, we've been able to help with that, with the banks we're working with, to be able to even get the home loans done for people. And simple things like refinancing a building. The things that you see in the cash business that is in, in the, I call it the regular world, <laughs> and then in the canvas world are diametrically different. Yeah, makes sense. I think maybe if you could take one second and just kind of help folks understand what Hazel does, because I, I think that's what you're talking about in terms of, of a marketplace and helping people get financed. I think it's somewhat easier for people to wrap their heads around, particularly in the cash space, the, the hard car angle, transit, moving, yeah. moving protection, but the Paisal one is a little more a little more nuanced, I think, for folks and a little newer. So if you want to take a couple of seconds and just kind of describe that, that could probably be good. Well, yeah, because it'll help people understand we're trying to get the cash off the streets, right? Our goal or our mission was to build the world's most powerful cloud-based innovative finance tool for really sustainable high growth industries like cannabis. But What's happened is, Sean, have you actually brought in other industries that other banks are interested in, but maybe all the banks are not? Say, for instance, autonomous vehicles or hydrogen-powered trucks or solar power walls. Those are industries I never would have thought we would have been in or been in now, but in 2021, those industries have come to us because we've had some really strong partners that have brought them to us that have said, 
boy, these guys are having a hard time getting banked too. Now that blew me away. I mean, I totally understand the Canada side because it's federally illegal and it's very difficult for the banks to be able to be involved. But we've cobbled together a group of these banks where we help aggregate what may be Sean's need for a building uplift. You want to go buy a building, get the mortgage done, and you have four or five investors and you want to just go buy a building in, say, California. You can't do that without one of the banks we're working with because all the rest of the banks will just tell you no. And so Paisal was able to kind of aggregate the banks together, make a strategic back end, like forwarding to all the right banks, and we make the banks compete. It's interesting because you've never seen banks really get excited until they get into big, large opportunities. We have a $4 billion customer of ours. They really wanted to have bank accounts for their stores, and they were not able to get those done for the last 20 years. But yet with our system, they were able to do it in two months. Well, the only reason we were able to do this, guys, is because we actually did help them move the money for the last four to five years, so they trusted us. Everybody else that's coming into the industry is trying to get these attention from these other people. They're going, why would we talk to you? We have no idea who you are, and you haven't done anything for us, whereas we spent the last four or five years getting to know everybody and actually building out the system. So now we have the front side, which is able to go and add on more banks. We just brought in a $7 billion bank in the state of California that will be able to add on thousands of accounts for cannabis companies or dispensaries or manufacturers, which is very powerful. And I, I believe in the cannabis industry, as you had said, cash is really, really, really difficult because you have one store maybe doing $100,000 a month or another store maybe doing $100,000 a day, and it could all be in cash. Yeah. So on that point, in terms of moving that cash around, are you are you seeing those volumes increasing still or, or kind of, I mean, we've gone through, Tom and I have talked about, you know, the past few weeks, going through the pandemic obviously has changed a lot of spending habits, the way people spend, what people sure. are spending on. What have you seen on the cannabis side in terms of big trends over the, the past year or more? Well, more and more people are using cannabis, which is fantastic. I'm a big fan and supporter of the industry because I've been a person of the product for a very long time, actually more than some people have been alive. But if you look at the total overall revenue in, say, Colorado, Oregon, California, the bigger states that have been doing this for some time, their tax revenues are incredibly higher. And so 2020, even during COVID, which made it very, very apparent that this industry is an essential industry because it just kept growing. It didn't slow down. A lot of people thought there may be a fall off, but it actually kept its pace and then increased in some degrees where stores were doing a lot more online ordering and a lot more delivery, you know, in cities where you could get deliveries done. In California, just because that's the biggest marketplace in the United States, has really seen strong year over year continued growth. And I had always said to people before, Sean, and I think Tommy will probably agree with me on this. If you go out and ask anybody in the United States right now, or actually globally, what's the most powerful drug in the world? You'll get a varying of answers, but really it's taxes. Because if you think about it, once a government gets hooked on their taxes, they are not going to let that, I call it a drug, but it's cash. Once they get those tax money and revenues in, they're going to want more of it. And that's why they're opening up more and more cities in every part of the United States. Yeah, that's a, a good point. And are you seeing, in terms of how people are spending, are you seeing it still cash or are folks adopting some of the, the cryptos that are out there? Um, just curious in your what you're seeing there. That's a very, very good question. A lot of companies we're talking to, even big corporations, I was surprised the other day, we were on the phone with a very large $30 million a day HR payroll processing company that's looking for the bank solution that we're bringing them. And they had asked, hey, how many of these companies are actually accepting crypto? To some of the banks and the banks, there's only a couple of banks actually that will allow crypto to be in this because it's so, so, so... <laughs> 
tenuous between cannabis, which is already so gray area, and then crypto, which is another high gray area level of payment structure. So it hasn't really crossed that threshold yet where you're making a lot of payments via cryptocurrency. But as you can see with PayPal coming on and with the adoption of blockchain that is enabling people to be able to use cryptocurrencies, more and more banks are getting around to it, which is great. Fantastic. I, in my opinion, I like the ability to have that trail so you can actually have your AML and BSA, so Anti-Money Laundering and Bank Secrecy Act, to be able to cover the bank, for instance, so it's safe and secure. But the transactional level stuff like you're talking about has gone more towards ACH debit rail because there is no credit card processing that is actually legal today. People will say they have merchant processing. They're all basically, they're all suspect because there is no MasterCard or Visa actual bin. There's no number. There is no associated thing for cannabis. does not exist. Anybody that says that it does is lying to you. So the debit rail has been used more and more successfully in the last year and it's growing. Early adopters didn't want to have to stop, download their banking information and then put it onto their phone and then go into a store and be able to buy that way. It's happening more and more now because people are buying more and more online, which is fine. It's actually a good adoption rate. Fascinating. I mean, I think it's interesting to see how different industries evolve in this and it makes perfect sense. I hadn't actually thought about kind of piggybacking, as you said, one gray area on top of another and, and kind of <laughs> raising the, the risk profile there, but it's a, an interesting way to, way to think about it. It makes perfect sense. That Have you guys seen in your industry from currency research perspective and actually looking at where some of the cash flows are coming? Have you seen increases in certain states based upon Canvas being there? You know, it's interesting. So we've seen the amount of cash, obviously, in, in circulation at a global level has, has increased a lot. So even with the digital onboardings, we talked last week or the week before about the, the Fed's diary study and what people are spending cash on. Now, clearly in a diary study run by the Federal Reserve, you're not going to see cannabis spending as a category, although it would be interesting. So I don't have kind of the what's happening in that particular industry, but the percentage share of purchases being made with cash, you know, went down, uh, which makes perfect sense. As, as kind of you were saying, people are, are using more delivery. They're used to the shopping online. They were kind of forced to. The debit rail, you know, might be picking up. People might be getting used to that a little bit. So I think we're seeing that as, a, as an overall trend. You know what? I don't know from a, a state by state perspective. I'll have to take a look at that. It would be an interesting one to see if in states that have a more robust cannabis network or legalized, more more bank-friendly even environment, if there is something that we can notice. I mean, it very well may be worth checking out. Yeah. You'll also see, and Tom had brought this up early on about something, but there's one company or one banking institution called MAPS. It's been in the industry for quite some time. They're actually, believe it or not now, they're one of the smaller ones. So six years ago, when we came on, we started bringing in banks like Technicolor, which was one of the first banks in cannabis, and then North Bay Credit Union up, up north with Chris Call and his organization. Fantastic banks, but they're typically smaller in size and in scope. Now you're seeing banks that are, just like I mentioned, $7 billion, $12 billion, $30, $40, 50000000000 billion banks that are turning towards this because more financial institutions are feeling a little bit safer about actually venturing into it. And we've helped more banks in total. We're over 18 that we have in our network, but we've helped more and more than I even have to record of because when they come to us, of course, we want them in the industry. So we're going to stop. We'll show them all the path where other banks are. We'll introduce them to other banks so it help them kind of get around it, Sean, so that they understand, hey, this really could help a lot of people. It's not just helping the bank. Of course, it's going to drive revenue. But imagine the story I just talked about with Tom. Tom is now working for that dispensary up in Maine. He can't get a home loan. No joke. The guy's name was Chris called our company, got a hold of us. Now, we typically are referral only, but this guy was persistent. He got a hold of a couple people, got a hold of us, 
We had three banks to that guy within the same day, and he was just flabbergasted. Now, he only wanted a $70,000 home loan. Now, I don't know what you can buy for $70,000 in Maine, but that's all he needed. Now, imagine that. That's a small and little nuance instance that you can talk about. And just that's a home loan. Now, flip it around. And I knew in the dispensary in Harborside, which is a great stalwart company. And Ernst, Steve D'Angelo is a friend that the company Harborside in California had done some great work. One of the women had told me, it takes me two to three weeks to get my check cleared. What do you mean by that? She goes, well, our, our bank is out of state. You see, all these little nuances that are hitting in an industry that is worth billions of dollars still has this cash conundrum in the middle that is, we're working our way through it. It'll take another year to two years to be able to get everything all done, but you'll definitely see an uplift. And then states like Colorado or California, where they've got massive pull, because you have incredible amounts of cannabis that are being grown and or brought out of those states, which is another thing for diversion, where the illegal cash is coming from. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned kind of referral only, and, and you guys have the network and, and so forth. I think what's true in the cannabis space, as in the cash space, a lot of this industry works on, as I think you said it before, it works on trust, right? It works on relationships. It's a fairly small world, both the cash world and while the cannabis area is probably growing rapidly, it's also, I'm sure uh, a lot of people know everybody or not everybody, but you know, the, the main players and, and what have you. And one of the things we've noticed with at Currency Research over the past year, it's been hard to maintain some of those relationships. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of Zoom calls, sure. a lot of face-to-face, but sorry, not a lot of face-to-face. <laughs> um, that's been the problem, just the lack of able, ability to get out there and maintain or and develop these relationships. So I think I think everybody is looking forward to now that things are opening back up, getting out there and, and rekindling a lot of these and forming these networks that are, are vital for these industries to thrive, right? It's difficult. I understood and fully agree. I mean, if you think about, you know, six years ago or even longer, let's call it 10 years ago, this was an industry that was really, really still under federal watch that if something went wrong and they just kind of stomped on it, they just tried to push this thing down. Now, and please, we can't get off on a soapbox about how bad that makes me feel because of how treated the industry has been for so long. But if you think about how much money this industry is going to generate, not just today, and I'm not just talking cannabis, let's go bigger for a second. Let's talk about hemp. Let's talk about the CBD market, but then specifically hemp. Now, hemp in itself, in Florida being one of the larger states in the United States, has now said that that will be its number one crop within the next five years. What does that mean? Well, hemp is being made into all kinds of different applications, including plastics. I have one company, they couldn't get financing. I got them a bank. They actually make a hemp plastic that will reduce your plastic consumption on an actual build-out, so your bill of materials cost, by upwards of 60%. So you can remove the plastics and add in hemp. And what does that do for our environment? And then what about the other hemp products that are coming out where there's a hemp-based battery that's eight times stronger than graphene, which means it'll work 20 times better than a lithium battery. There's so many new technologies that are coming out of this industry that are going to drive massive adoption. It's sad that we've taken this long to do it because the cash side, as you talk about, is a massive problem. But really, the industries that are coming out of this, you'll be surprised. If anybody in your your listening audience would like to have a copy of this, I'll send it to you so you have it. There's actually pancreatic cancer research being done with microlyzed drones at Harvard University right now, meaning they're using CBD in a microlyzed drone inside the body to go after pancreatic cells. That's nuts, because if you think about that, we could have been doing that 20 or 30 years ago with an industry that should have been there. Well, it just makes more of us that, you know, I'm almost 50. It makes us really kind of angry thinking, why did it take us so long to get to this point? But we're there now. I mean, it's been pushing, a, you know, the challenge to get the cash moved around. I can tell you. 
Sean, honestly, there was one of the conferences we were at where the Federal Reserve was in the back of the audience and they came up to me afterwards and said, we know what you're doing. <laughs> so, I mean, it, they've known for quite some time that they've been, you know, we've been moving the money to the, the Fed and we've tried to do it as, as effectively as we could. And again, we've done over $3 billion. So I feel pretty comfortable and confident that we're going to continue to succeed at that and move more money. I'd like to see what the industry is going to be able to do when they use that money for good purposes, right? Not just the tax revenue, but what are some of these other companies going to be able to do to support good growth and good opportunities to, to bring the entire industry up? Yeah, great point indeed. And so I, I just kind of have one other area that I that I thought of while you were chatting there. It's kind of on the technology used in store to, to handle the cash. I, we didn't mention recyclers at this point, currency recyclers or smart safes, that sort of stuff. And, you know, I know a lot of the there's some more of the retail uh, environments out there are adopting recyclers and it's taken a, a while for the for them to do so here in the US anyway. I'm curious in the, the cannabis space and, and any of the dispensaries, if, if you're seeing kind of on the ground implementation of kind of smart safe recycling technology to, to help manage the in-store cash flow. There have been some. Uh, we tried about three or four years ago to bring out a cash recycler system and it failed because the speed of which the device was able to take in the amount of cash was the biggest issue, but they've really increased that and they've done a great job. There's a bunch of companies that are working towards you know fixing that part of the issue for the cannabis space. We have to understand, it's not like a Walmart. I know that picture in your mind just went like, wow, big store. But these stores are small, but they generate massive cash very quickly. So to be able to move $200,000 into a cash recycling machine, it's just not as easy as it could be today. Now, I think they're getting better. And there are new technologies coming out every day. You know, people are interested in talking about the new technologies that are coming out. That's another segment for you, I bet. But we are seeing adoption in some levels. It's great when we can get a bank to say that they'll give provisional credit, which means you put the smart safe in. The company actually has the money as if it was in his bank account that day. That's fantastic. That's slow to adopt, but it is coming. And so even on that type of level of technology, there is going to be adoption. It'll just happen naturally, just like it has in Target or any other big retailer that has lots of money flowing through it. Yeah. Awesome. Good to hear. Tom, I've kind of monopolized the questioning here. I'm sorry about that. If you have anything you want to throw in there, feel free. You hit a lot of the things and I do have a couple kind of questions and I think you, you touched on them, Todd, already, but like specific to MAPS, I just know MAPS because that's the one, the credit union that's always written. And I know that you know they wave the flag that they've done almost $2 billion since they started. So I think roughly the last time I looked at this, there's you know 500 banks or so that are actively, you know, saying that they're doing this. What do you think it's going to take for one of the bigger banks, the big players to flip the switch? That's a very good question. We get that a lot, actually. By defining bigger player, we already have banks that are over 50 billion. Now you want to get into a tier one bank where it's hundreds of billions of dollars. They have to not only measure the reputational risk, but also look at what are the factors of their own teams being able to do the same lift and make sure that they are as tight as possible on their BSA requirements to make sure that nobody's got crazy money floating around. There are currently cannabis companies in those multi-billion dollar banks. They just use different names. There's a lot of, let's call it shell game type corporate naming. So instead of it being Tom's Growsite, it's now Tom's Hydroponic Equipment. And so then you have your store that's actually in a bank until they figure out what it is. They look on your website and then they just whack your company out of that system and then you're going to get blackballed. So you're better off being in a cannabis-friendly bank to begin with. Maps and others that have been at it for quite some time are now seeing the bigger banks that are putting out hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, literally hundreds of millions of dollars, not only in lending, but also in the ability to bring in and the, the cash that is needed for lots of the different uh, larger 
institutions, either multi-state operators. So MSOs that are in multi-states, like Curly, for instance, a good company. They've been in, they've got a lot of different states where some of these banks, I even had this, this is, you're going to love this, multi-billion dollar bank had their president and their vice president flying around going and talking to the multi-state operators because they want to earn their business. What's that tell you? The banks themselves, big banks, much bigger than a credit union are really trying to you know, leverage now that they can get into some of these relationships because they realize this industry is going nowhere but up. If anyone in this audience thinks that cannabis is going to go down, they are sadly mistaken because the amount of just facilities, let me give you guys an example of just the facilities that are going to be coming online. An average grow site in Colorado years ago was around, say, 25 to 50,000 square feet. Now, that's a good size building. Your home, uh, my home, maybe a couple thousand square feet. So 50,000 square feet is pretty big, right? Some of the facilities in California, like Glasshouse, Graham Farrar's group, that's just been gone through a SPAC, that in itself will be over a million square feet. And there are others that are at 1.5 million square feet now. Plus, we have farms that are coming on that are 4 million square feet. So the growth in just the cannabis side of the size of the facilities will drive massive cash. Can you imagine that? That 4.5 million square feet location I'm talking to you guys about right now, generate 300 million a month in cash. My background is in risk. So I, I always, I, I'm always asking that question of the bigger banks. And then you talked about a lot about loans. I actually, through some other business dealings, know a person who's in, in the industry who struggled with buying buildings, had the cash flow, there was no issue and really, really struggled for a long time because it's not like TV. You can't just go with a suitcase full of money. Yeah. It's not, it isn't that easy. <laughs> and, uh, Yep. I know that that's a, a real struggle. And these are legitimate business folks. I mean, this particular person owns a fairly large organization separately, but is essentially trying to do it the right, right way, like not trying to sh shell it and keep it completely separate and be on the up and up because he wants to grow. And so it's a major, major issue. So what about the risk associated with holding on to all this money? I, I know anecdotally, and it definitely has to be anecdotally because I can't really validate any of this. We see a higher usage of, you know, tamper evidence bags in states that have this. So we, that one can draw a conclusion. It's definitely anecdotal. There's no way for me to say that. But I do know just in dealing with the folks I deal with, the risk associates, in some cases, I use the analogy, they're literally, they don't have anywhere to hide the money anymore. And it's not in the state of California, or they probably be working with you. But I know, um, what, what are you what are you telling the dispensaries that aren't using someone like you? I know that there is kind of still this secret cloak in the industry, where some folks are really kind of afraid to work with anybody and they have their own process. So I know you're a referral only, but what advice could you give to someone, whether the dispensary of how to get involved with someone like yourself? Reach out to your lawyer or to your accountant and they will probably be able to reach out to us. Typically what we do is we work off of the people that are the strongest in the industry who have a license that are actually at risk of losing it. And the reason is because those groups, the accounting groups, they have to stay within the guidelines of the state to make sure that those companies are all legitimate and banking correctly. So that makes sense. CPA groups we work with a lot or the legal groups like Reed Smith or Dickinson Wright or Greenscreen Martyr or Vincente Sedberger. The larger firms in the legal side, they typically refer to us as well. So if the cannabis dispensary or somebody else in the, in the listening audience had a friend of theirs that was in the cannabis industry, just have them reach out to the legal firm or to their accounting firm and then have them reach out to us and we'll put them right into the banking. It's not, we don't hold it back. We're not trying to make this, it's not Willy Wonka's golden ticket to some degree, but it is something along the lines of where we do value the people who are doing this the correct way. If a dispensary is holding on to its money and really just piling up cash, not only are they at risk for a real serious theft, right? And that's a big issue. But secondarily, there's no reason for it because there are
are banks that will be willing to accept their cash. They just have to get to the right people to be able to make that all happen. So we're out there quietly. We promote our customers more than we promote ourselves because we want our customers to be the front of how this is happening better for them. Give an example. There's a company called Sundentive, right? Sundentive has a zero emission, zero electricity cost system that goes into greenhouses and sorry, into buildings that are not greenhouses, into flat buildings, anywhere you have a indoor grow, this system is fantastic, right? We got them financing through the banks and now they're able to put those systems in the locations and there's almost no money out of pocket. That kind of a company couldn't have done it if they didn't have the right bank. And so for us, we would rather promote those guys and any one of our customers. So if there's a dispensary out there that we can help get banked, we totally will do something to support that dispensary. And it's just something that's better for the industry. It's better to remove the cash off the streets anyways. And it works for everybody. We're getting there. It's going to take us another couple of years with everybody else. But it's certainly a lot better than it was, guys, five or six years ago when people were giving us paper bags with stickers on them from like emoji stickers that were how they close the bags where your tamper evident bags were not anywhere to be found. I mean, these are like, you know, what you put your, your sandwiches in to take them to lunch when you were going to school. <laughs> if anybody's using paper bags, shoot them my way. I can help them. I mean, that's for Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> There's not anymore, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, then, and then the last question, which you guys touched on a little bit, and I know that this may be outside your wheelhouse, so it may just be your opinion. The risk of that crossover Bitcoin is unregulated. It's going to get regulated. And anytime I hear anybody talking about Bitcoin and cannabis together, I feel like they're opening Pandora's box. Oh. Just have someone come after you. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you're 100% correct. If you go to a bank and say, we're going to start making payments with uh, Bitcoin, they're going to they're going to just turn you right down. Because you have this cloak of you know invisibility underneath Bitcoin and any of these others that you really don't have a chain of custody. And you want the federal government to come after you because you're one of the first ones to go out there and do that, you're absolutely insane in my book because, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense when banks are already accepting the cash now. Why would you include something else that's going to make it harder? Now, could the United States come into a digital currency within the next five years? I would love to see that. As a matter of fact, if you look to China or look to Asia, they've already gone. China already has the yuan in digital currency. They are way ahead of the United States. I mean, 15 years ago when I was in Hong Kong, I could literally transfer 50000 to $200,000 within five seconds on my phone. Just by hitting a couple of keys, you still have difficulty doing that in the United States. So, I mean, I think as we progress as a nation to move things forward, we're slow to adopt certain things, but something like Bitcoin and cannabis is just toxic right now. It, and no bank will. You're absolutely right, Tom. It's, it's just something that's verboten. You just don't want to go that way. I could uh, talk forever. We'll definitely have you back on because there's a whole slew of questions around risk and the transfer of physical money and I'm sure learnings that you could provide. Our, our primary audience right now really are banks and financial institutions, central banks and, and banks specifically. We're hoping that some other folks are, are listening and, and getting a lot out of it. But that's all I have, Sean. Over to you. Yeah, I would echo that, Tom. Todd will, will likely have you back at, at a point in the future. And in the meantime, I, I would do a little self-promotion here, uh, shamelessly. We definitely will be continuing this, this conversation in some more detail later this year in person. Thank goodness. Todd, I, I believe, will be joining us out in, and Tom definitely will, um, out in San Diego, December 6th to 9th at our America's Cash Cycle Seminar here at Currency Research. And we're going to make sure we get some cannabis, uh, not product, well, we who knows the San Diego? We guess we could, but um, <laughs> but the, the topic on the agenda and really delve into it more with with folks from the Fed and folks in the industry and should be a really great discussion. And then you, you actually teed up, Todd, a, a really a new initiative we've got coming out in February, the Digital Currency Conference, where we're going to start talking with the Fed 
and other folks from around the world, you mentioned China and, and some others where we'll, we'll have central banks talking about CBDC and, and other digital currencies and, and how they're coming along. So now that, that'll be in Washington, D.C. in February. So all those topics are definitely on our agenda going forward. And we, we look forward to engaging you, Todd, and, and others in that. So so I thank you for your time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And, and have a great weekend coming up. We will see all of our listeners again uh, in, a, in a week or two with another new episode. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we, will, we will talk to everyone soon. Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.